All right. I don't know if you guys heard. How many of you are moviegoers? All right. I'm pumped because Indiana Jones 5. All right. They're, they're talking about releasing the trailer. All right. I, I am getting excited. It'll be next year probably before we get around to a movie. But as I was doing some research about that new movie and what it might be about, I found out that our local theater, Cobb, CMX, I don't know. I can't keep track. They changed the name. I found out they got, they got robbed this week. Anybody see that story? $5,000. Apparently they got away with two popcorns, a Skittle, and a soda. <clears throat> Whether it's funny or not, it's true. So it's, a, that's, a, that's the beauty of that story. I want to tell you just two stories that moved me this week. It sort of has to do with my sermon, but that's okay. It, um, I, I was reading, just ironically got these, the folks from the Philippines here, but I was reading a story about Filipino Christians who, they don't have news like we have news. The average person in the Philippines makes less than a dollar a day. Okay, that's just being real with you. And they, um, they heard about what was going on in the Ukraine. They heard about the Russian invasion. And so the, the Filipino Christians got together and said, we have to help the Ukrainian Christians. Those are our brothers and sisters. And so they took up a love offering out of their $1 a day wages and gave it to the Ukrainian Christians. Those are the kind of stories, my friend, that get you right here. And I hope it'll get you and me to think about things. And then I want to tell you this story. Remember when we pack the food bags? We do it every year. We, 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 you guys donate. We buy the food in bulk and we pack the soy and the little bags and we, and, and they go somewhere and that's kind of the end of it. You never hear what happened. I'm going to tell you what happened this time. <clears throat> this year we worked with a group called International Disaster Emergency Services because we wanted the food to get to, to Zimbabwe, South Africa. And little did we know that when we made that commitment, what they were doing in Zimbabwe, they had declared this year the year of souls and that they were going to win a thousand people to Jesus this year amongst a group of churches uh, there in the southern part of the country. And so they start been having church services and revivals and... You, what we did as a church uh, between Palm Bay, DeLand, and Ormond, we packed about two-thirds of a semi full of this food. Here's your food. <clears throat> They're holding the very packs that we packed. And so far, they decided to make that part of the revival, that as people were leaving the revival each night, they would bless the families with this food. To date, so far this year, 700 people have accepted Christ and been baptized. All right? Just. So if you're wondering, if you're wondering what happens to stuff like that, it, there's always an answer. I just can't always get it to you as directly as that. But so when we go to do it next year, you'll know why we do this. All right? So we're going to look at Acts chapter 20 today. The first six verses. And my guess is when I read this to you, you're going to say, first of all, why did God put that in the Bible? And second of all, what in the world is Joe possibly going to teach us from these six verses? But there's actually a lot in here that we're going to focus on. So if you'll stand out of respect for God's word. <clears throat> we left Paul. Um, he's in Ephesus, large Roman city. Um, there's a riot that's going on. They want to kill all the Christians. They want to get Paul into the theater. Remember that story? 
We showed you the picture of the Roman theater, 30, 40,000 people. And for two hours, they scream. It's a riot. And they keep screaming, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great of Artemis of the Ephesians. And Paul said, I'm going to go out there and preach. His friend said, Paul, they're going to kill you. Don't do it. Finally, it all calms down. Here's the next sentence. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through the area speaking many words of encouragement to the people. Finally arriving in Greece, where he stayed for three months. Because the Jews made a plot against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Piraeus from Berea, Aristarchus, and Secundus from Thessalonica. That's, that's, you know, that's seminary work right there. Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the feast of unleavened bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. You can be seated. Okay, what in the world? So what? Got a bunch of guys wandering around. What's going on here? Okay. First of all, I am amazed at Paul's calmness in the middle of this. He has just been threatened with his life by a mob of tens of thousands of people. And Paul does not seem to be disturbed at all. Now, I'm not saying maybe inside he's not. And maybe it's the next morning. But whenever it was, that's something that probably would live with me. If, th- if twenty or 30,000 people tried to kill me today, it might take me a day or two to work through that process. Would you agree with that? Listen, and we deal with, we deal, we're dealing with emotions here, all right? And by the way, if you're an evolutionist, explain emotions to me. Even if you think you can explain physical things, where did emotions come from? Anyway, but we're dealing here today, everything's here. We got anxiety, we got depression, we got fear, we got loneliness, we've got anger, we've got bitterness. All these emotions are here and they're very real. How do I learn to function in the middle of that? And the word that kept coming back as I read this is calmness. Now that's not my strength. All right. Yesterday my devotion was from the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. None of those come naturally. That's all work. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit working inside of us. None of those things happen normally. What happens normally is anger, bitterness, fighting, anxiety, depression. That's the kind of stuff that happens normally. How do I remain calm? Well, Paul fascinates me here. I I think there are several things going on, but Paul obviously has a confidence in eternity. And I think that has got to be the key. If you've not accepted Jesus, listen, and not, there's somebody here today, or there's somebody watching online, there's somebody in the land, there's somebody in Palm Bay, that you're here today just to hear me say, Jesus died for you, you need to accept him, you need to be baptized, you need to start a new life and get out of the life you've been living. Somebody's here that needs that. Paul had that. And because he had it, he remains calm. Now you remember remember the movie Apollo 13? 
Some of you are older. Remember Apollo 13. Okay. It's interesting. <clears throat> if you watch the movie, which is incredible, Tom Hanks and the boys. Um, but then if you go back and watch the actual footage out of Houston. Because uh, in the movie there's some foul language. And if you watch what happened in Houston, there was not one foul word used. And you watch that director running the mission, sitting there at Houston Control, and the calmness, knowing that these three men are most likely going to die. And he's directing you. Now, the only thing you see is there's times they, they cut the mic so that the, the astronauts can't hear it. And they're having private conversations, and then they update them what's going on. But that director stays completely calm through the whole thing. You know why? Because he was trained. He was trained and confident in what he did and what he had to do. And that's where Paul is. Paul knows he's got a job to do. His job is to get people to Jesus. And if, if he dies, he dies. And I'm not sure you and I are that comfortable. And listen, we all take junk. But I'm reading this passage, and I know this is going to be hard for you to believe, but there are some people that just don't like me. All right? I know. I know. It's, it's almost unfathomable to me. You? Is there anybody that doesn't like you? Probably. Probably. But you know what? Nobody's trying to kill me. There's no mob outside my door. So when I compare what I have to deal with to what Paul had to deal with, it's really not that big a deal. So I'll be scorned, so somebody won't talk to me, uh, so this might happen. Paul stays calm because he knows what the mission is. So as a Christian, we know what our job is to help other people find Jesus. But dare I say that even in your business life or in your family life or in your marriage, when you understand the mission... I am to love my wife the way Christ loves the church. I am to respect my husband. I, I am to raise my children to love the Lord. I am to honor my, my, my boss. And I'm to do my job with diligence. <clears throat> when you understand the mission you've been given, a calmness can come over you. Exodus 14, 14. This is a, a great story. This is Moses. Now, Moses was not the most calm man. Moses got very upset at times. In fact, one of my favorite quotes about Moses is when Moses is talking to God and said, God, why did you give me these people? All right, that's a guy that's not happy. But when he's got his back against the Red Sea... And the Egyptian army's coming, and everybody's about to be wiped out, and everybody's complaining. Everybody's whining. We, we loved it back in Egypt. We loved being slaves. We loved eat, eating onions for dinner. All right? That's what they're saying. God said to Moses, raise the staff, and the people you see today you'll never see again. Now, this has never happened before, nor has it ever happened since. But with a calmness, Moses is frustrated with the people. He's angry. He's probably frustrated with God just a little bit because he's stuck. So he's got a choice to make. Am I going to trust God? And he does. He raises the rod up into the air. Sea parts. They get across. The others get crushed. It's Exodus 14 and 15 if you want to check it out. But I'm amazed at Moses' calmness at that moment. 
At the moment when he's got nowhere else to go and nowhere else to turn, he stays very calm. Why? Because he knows he's right in the center of God's will. And you know, you, it's, still, it's still being done. It's done a little differently today. But when I was growing up, you would still hear people say, I've got to find myself. Well, what that meant is I'm going to go sin. I'm going to go out in California, Seattle, and I'm going to go live wild for a while. And ironically, people never find themselves. Because everywhere you go, there you are. Until you decide, until I decided that I got to get right with Jesus. And when I got right with Jesus, there was a calmness that was able to come over me. A process that we were able to grab a hold of. You know, and there, listen, there's always things that upset you. I, I don't care who you are, but here's, here's one that gets me, and the, the, the media always does it to me. But this is ESPN, okay? Here's a, here's a picture. This is a football player and his, and his son. I'm going to tell you what the little boy said, because I saw the interview. The little boy finished up this interview, and he said, I love God, I love Jesus Christ, and I love the whole world. That's the quote. When ESPN aired it, it said, I love the whole world. Just, they're awful afraid of a God that they think doesn't exist. It's really amazing to me how afraid they are of Jesus. And that's the kind of stuff that drives me crazy. But here's what I've learned. I stole this from somebody. You and I have to learn to stop taking swimming lessons from people who are drowning. All right? If I knew who wrote that, if I knew who wrote it, I'd give them credit. But since they didn't, I'm stealing it. All right? So you can put my name under it now. All right? But, but it's amazing. We, we keep looking back to these people that we know are crazy. What, why are we listening to what they say and what they think when we know what the truth is? And from God's truth and from the cross and the blood that was shed, that, my friends, is how Paul had calmness in the midst of the battle. Then he encourages others through this mission. This fascinates me. So... <clears throat> yeah, there was a lot of people they wanted to kill that day, but there was no doubt who the ringleader was. They wanted Paul. They wanted to kill Paul. And more than likely, honestly, had they killed Paul, the others would have scattered. But let me remind you what's going to happen, okay? It's not in the scripture, but in the next 50 years, 50,000 people in that city are going to accept Christ. So probably a whole lot of people that were in that arena that day shouting, great is Artemis. A whole lot of those people accepted Jesus. And I think it's because of what Paul does next. So he's about to be killed. He stays calm. And then it says he goes from house to house to encourage the Christians. Do you see that word? Highlight it. Right? It's a great word, encourage. The word encouragement means to give courage to someone. Do you know that? Pretty simple. Encourage. To give other people courage. It's a great word. It's a powerful word. For the life of me, I just don't know why they translated either one of these words that way in the passage. Here's, here, it's two different words. They're, they're used in back-to-back -back sentences, and it says, encouraged, encouraged. It's both wrong. The first word means that he went from house to house, and he hugged people. 
He went from house to house and patted people on the back. And with his calmness, he brought calm to them. With his love and patience and trust and faith, he transferred that to them. The second time it's used, when he said he encouraged the believers, that time the word that's used is the word logos in Greek, which is John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the logos, the logos was with God and the logos was God. Speaking about Jesus, Paul went from house to house, patted people on the back, had a cup of coffee and told them more about Jesus so they wouldn't give up. Wow. Now let me ask you, who do you know in your life that could use a pat on the back? If it's appropriate, who do you know that could use a hug? Because I'm telling you, our world's dying without it. What child do you know that couldn't use a thumbs up? What teenager wouldn't like to know that, hey, just want you to know, man, I'm proud of you. Because they get plenty of the other. They get plenty of the world. They get plenty from the networks. They get plenty from whatever platform they're on. They get all the craziness. But who's there to believe in them? And you know what? I'm going to tell you something. Last night, not that I, I mean, you guys are always kind to me. But last night, there's a couple backstage after it was all done. And they stayed for about five minutes just to, to thank us. For our commitment to the kingdom, our commitment to the word, and our commitment to missions. And I told my wife on the way home, I said, you know what? I can live on that for the next month. I can take those words of encouragement and no matter those three or four people that don't like me. Um, <laughs> that Those words will carry me through so much. Now if, that'll, if that does that for me, who do you know that needs that? The teenagers here, the children here. Why do you think we push so hard to get people involved in these ministries? Do you know in China, legally, you cannot share anything religious with a child till they're 18 years old? The Chinese aren't dumb. They know that if you don't get religion by the time you're three to five to seven years old, you're never going to. Do you think maybe our school system's working on the same plan? Just let you ponder that. Yeah, we've known for a long time that if if you don't reach a child by age nine, there's only about a 5% chance in America that that child will ever become a Christian. That's why we need you to volunteer in the children's department, in the teen department. And we need to be the ones out there encouraging these kids. Just just a good word. And look, I know it's not always easy, all right? I did youth ministry for, for five years. It was the greatest time of my life. I loved youth ministry. I had a blast with the kids that, that I got to work with. Um, a lot of them are serving in ministry now, which really makes me feel old. Uh, but it, it was such a cool experience. But I realized the other day, I was out with a bunch of, of, uh, of middle school kids, and I realize now that I'm 60. They're not nearly as cool to me now as they were then. You know what? They're no different than the group I had. They're no different than what I was. But as you get older, it gets harder, and you got to go out of your way to encourage them because they're not like us. I mean, it's like, it's like a different kind of people, right? 
I mean, if you don't know that, go over to the youth room and watch. Their energy level is off the chart. Their, their, their passion, their, their emotions, their, there's so much going on. And if Christians aren't there to guide that, who's going to guide them? And we've got an epidemic in our culture, and the, the CEO, Bed Bath & Beyond, this last week kind of gave me the, you know, jumped out of a window and killed himself um, because of a stock deal. You know, short, he was shorting stocks and whatever. Um, but I thought, he made that decision because he didn't have hope. And there's people everywhere that don't have hope. And I've quit worrying about the big numbers, because if there's one person watching in Deland, Palm Bay, online, in here, if one person today, I never have to know anything, but if one person decides not to do something dumb, somebody says, you know what, I don't have much hope, but I got some today, and so I think I can go on. If one person makes that decision, I won. I win. All right? And there's somebody in your life like that. There's somebody that needs that pat on the back. They need to hear the kind word. When you're on Facebook, listen, I spend too much time on Facebook, but um, I could be in a fight 24 hours a day. And I, and I could win because I don't like to lose. I could win. But it wouldn't do a thing for the kingdom. It wouldn't do a thing for God's kingdom. So you know what I do on Facebook? It's deep. I write things like, Happy birthday. <laughs> Happy anniversary. When something cool happens, I hit like. <laughs> but I never engage in anything negative. Because it's almost like, well, they put that out there to start a fight. And that's not going to help anything. But the world is dying for a pat on the back. The world's dying for a hug. The world's dying for just a little bit of encouragement. Who can you give that to today? And then we'll be quick. The last, the last part, Paul chooses a very diverse team. All right, go back and look at the passage. Uh, we, we, we ripped through those, uh, through those names there. But he's got, he's got guys from all over Asia, from Thessalonica. Uh, he's got Aristarchus. He's got Secundus. All these guys from Philippi, from Greece. Why? Because they're watching Paul every day. And they're listening to Paul every day. And they were there when Paul just about got killed. And they were there the next day to see Paul's calmness. And you know where those people are all going to go? They're all going to go home. And when they go home, they're going to take Jesus with them. And that's what we're supposed to do. I mean, that's why we work with Dashiell. That's why we're working with Philippines, the Filipinos in the Philippines. Because they know their culture. They know their people. That makes sense, does it? We're out in Oklahoma, the white people don't have a great reputation with the native tribes. So we work with Choctaw pastors. And the Choctaw pastors go win the Choctaw people to Christ. That makes sense. That's what Paul's doing here. Now let me just ask you this, and we'll be brief, but who's around you? See, we can yell and scream about the next generation, or you can say, I don't care how old you are, guys, 
Get some younger guys around you that you can teach. Get them in a Bible study. Buy them coffee. Ladies, get some other ladies. Whatever you ladies do, tea or I don't know what you do. But get uh, get some younger ladies around you. Have a Bible study. Pray together. Talk about marriage. Talk about you, how, how you've gotten through life. and Because they're all going to go home. And when they go home, all this great, great teaching is going to go with them. Here's what it says in Ecclesiastes 4. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend them. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. There's the power. There's the power right there. Let me finish with this. All right. I got two minutes. I can, I can tell this story. We've got Lee Buckner sitting down here who's a Mickey Mantle fan. Probably a lot of Mickey Mantle fans. Here's a, here's the, a baseball card. That just sold. See this online? Even even you non-collectors saw this. Twelve point five million. Now I'm going to tell you, it's a piece of cardboard. Piece of cardboard. Um, there aren't many of them, and you don't care why, but I'm going to tell you why because I got a minute left. Um, in 1952, Tops was late getting this stuff printed. And by the time they got it printed, nobody cared. They'd moved on to football season. So all of the 52 mantles were dumped into the East River in New York, right outside of Tops. This is a different time. You just threw things in the river. So there aren't very many of these cards. Now, I have one. Mine's worth about a dollar and a quarter. It's been beat to death by some poor kid that had it in his bicycle spokes, I'm guessing. <laughs> but I do have one. Um, but what makes something worth 12.5 million? Can I tell you? There's no way that's worth 12.5 million. Do you know why it sold for 12.5 million? Because somebody placed a value on that of 12.5 million. Now you might look at yourself and you say, you know what? I'm not worth much. And maybe you've been beaten up by the world, beaten up by your family, beaten up by life. And you're like, you know what? I wouldn't give 10 cents for me. And there's times I feel that very, very real feeling. But Jesus said, you know what? You're worth everything to me. He's the one that places the value on each one of us. And it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done or how long you've been out there doing it. He died on a cross and shed his blood to say, Joe, you are worth 10 times a Mickey Mantle card. Because you know what? That card is going to burn like everything else when Jesus comes back. The only thing that's going to last is my soul and your soul. And so if you've not accepted Jesus online, there's a button. I've decided you hit that button. Pastor John's there. If you're in Deland, Palm Bay, go up front. There'll be people there to minister to you. Here, come up front. Don't miss this opportunity to get right with Jesus. But also, how do I learn to stay calm? Get yourself anchored. That's why our small groups are so important. That's why you need that network around you. And then think about who can I encourage? Father, I pray as we wrap this up that your spirit will take over. That it's, uh, it's up to you. You save people. You save marriages. You keep people from making bad decisions. You give hope. You fix marriages.
So, Father, I'm asking for you to encourage us today. Lord, would you give us a pat on the back and a hug? That's what we need most. In Jesus' name, amen.